So last week we finished up the sevenfold confession of the bride in the beginning of the second chapter of Song of Songs. And I'm the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys, the lily among thorns. And his banner over me is love. He's taken me to the banqueting table. Some of the best statements that you can find in Song of Songs. So we're at this place now where there's going to be a, a transitional season, a, uh, a transitional moment in the life of the bride. So I'll read our anchor scripture for tonight and we'll dive in. This is Song of Songs, chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And this is the bride speaking or the maiden speaking. Listen, my beloved, behold, he is coming, leaping on the mountains, jumping on the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he is standing behind our wall. He is looking through the windows. He's peering through the lattice. In verse 10, my beloved responded and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. So just a little review of kind of where we're at in the bride's journey here at letter A on her identity and her understanding. She's got her spiritual identity and her life purpose as being the inheritance of Christ, as being really his his companion promised to him by the father. And now she's embarking on the journey of becoming that inheritance of becoming the bride that's made herself ready, becoming the eternal companion of Jesus who chooses to love him and love sick obedience. So at this point, Jesus is now beginning the work of redeeming the affections of her heart, which is his most precious possession. The affections of the human heart are God's most precious possession. And it's the thing that he's after above everything else. He's after our affections. He's after our love. He's after our wholehearted obedience. He's after the lovesick ones. And number two, Jesus has a specific plan for each believer to bring us to the banquet table in the house of wine, which we talked about in verse four, where we celebrate and enjoy his love and where he also celebrates and enjoys our love for him. Jesus's primary goal in his leadership or his banner over us is to lead us in a way that reveals and imparts his love to us. We're called to remember that and to praise his love more than wine. That was the beginning of the story was us. We will praise your love more than wine. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, the kisses of his word for his love is sweeter than wine. And it's important for us as we get into this next section to acknowledge and remind ourselves to praise his love, to remember his love, and to remember that his banner over us is love, his leadership over us is love. When we get into challenging seasons in our lives, we have to acknowledge that God's leadership is perfect and that his primary purpose in his leadership is always to draw us into a deeper revelation and impartation of his love. Number three, Jesus's leadership has been effective because now she's lovesick. She says, oh, refresh me with raisin cakes. Sustain me with apples for I'm lovesick. She was asking for more of Jesus in verse five. And as she's drawn deeper into his divine embrace, his right hand embracing her, his left hand beneath her head, 
he charges others not to disturb her from sitting under the apple tree, under the grace shadow, and at the banquet table in the house of wine. But now the Lord will disturb her in his timing. So that's where we're at. (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Letter B. This passage now marks a significant change in the life of the maiden. The unfolding events will function as the source of her character that it's displayed in chapters four through eight. She sees this third revelation of Jesus. This is the third time that a a new face of Jesus or a new dimension of who he is, is revealed to her. And this time it's him as the sovereign king or the Lord over the nations, or I affectionately, affectionately call Jesus my leaping Lord and sometimes I sing the Christmas song about the Lord's a leaping. I'm sure he thinks it's great, but I decided not to put that in the notes. He's the Lord over the nations. Up to this point, she's only known him as the counseling shepherd. You whom my soul loves, where do you feed your flock? And the affectionate lover, let him refresh me with raisin cakes. Let him, uh, we'll, we'll drink of his love at, at the house of wine at the banqueting table. Now she sees him leaping over mountains. Whew which signify life's obstacles and hindrances. You have the mountains. He's leaping over the mountains. He's jumping on the hills. The hills could be smaller obstacles or smaller difficulties in our lives. So let her see, talking about this sovereign king, he has triumphed over all demonic powers and principalities. He has overcome every obstacle, both human and demonic, And we can speak to mountains of adversity to move, as well as the smaller difficulties we face, symbolized by the hills. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 19, these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. So it's speaking of his lordship. He's he's lord over everything. He's leaping over mountains easily. There's, There's no difficulty to him. Again, in Mark 11, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. And even with Zerubbabel, he was told to speak grace, grace to the mountain, which is uh, an affectionate scripture in our house. We, we know that Jesus has lordship over every obstacle, or at least we, we think we know that. <laughs> Do we believe it all the times? I don't always believe it, but he does. He has authority over every principality, over every obstacle, over every difficulty, over every hindrance, over every bit of opposition in my life. We can pray, I, Isaiah 64, oh, that you would open up the heavens and come down and cause mountains to tremble in your presence. He is the one that causes mountains to tremble. He leaps over them with ease. It's interesting, uh, Roman numeral two, the first thing is she hears his voice. And I think that's really significant. She's first recognizing the voice of Jesus. In her season of resting under the gray shadow of the apple tree and feeding on the raisin cakes of the Spirit's ministry and the apples of his word, she's come to recognize his voice. And that is so cool. 
because just with, I work with a lot of youth ministry type stuff and that age group, they're always going, how do you know that you're hearing God? Like, how is it that you know that that's God speaking to you? And that's kind of an ongoing conversation that I'm having with people. And here, I mean, we kind of view the bride here as immature, but she recognizes his voice. And that's so significant to me because at one time she was a distant veiled woman, mm-hmm. right? She's like, why should I be working along the sides of your companions as a veiled woman that doesn't know you? Why am I distant? At the beginning of the song, I was calling out for the kisses of your word and now I'm distant. And it shows that the leadership of the Lord did what he intended to do. The banner of love over her life brought her into such deep intimacy and rest and sitting at his feet and feasting on his words and enjoying the ministry of the spirit that she now recognizes his voice at a distance. It's not a face-to-face encounter that she hears. It's not like a FaceTime. It's a phone call. It's not even a phone call. It's a distant, distant song or a distant melody. You know, it doesn't explicitly say that, but I like to think of Jesus skipping on the hills or leaping over the mountains and he's singing this song and she hears the voice of the bridegroom. (gasps) Listen, my beloved one. I just think that's such a huge win (laughs) for Jesus. Like (laughs) she recognizes his voice now. Now she's his companion. Let her be. Jesus speaks tenderly to us when he calls us to the mountains of risk in our lives. He's not a taskmaster in this. He's not, get your butt out there and, you know, go to the nations, preach the gospel. What's your problem? He speaks tenderly. She says, listen, my beloved. The maiden immediately responds to his voice by calling him her beloved. The title she will use to describe him to others 22 times in the song. And what's interesting is he calls her my darling 22 times in the song. So both are speaking to affection. The, the, the love of the heart. I'm the Rose of Sharon. I love him with my whole heart. He's my beloved, the one that I love. She's my darling, my lover friend. It's, it's the, the two terms that are used. And I just think that's cool that they're both used 22 times. Let her see hearing his voice has caused her to behold him. You know, I can see this picture of her in the house of wine behind the wall. And she hears she hears his song and she looks out the window, behold. And in our beholding of Christ, we gain additional revelation to who he is. So her beholding of him gave her access through the spirit of revelation to a new identity of who he was. He saw him. She saw him leaping over the mountains. His voice or maybe a tender song called her into the spiritual spirit of revelation, leading to deep knowledge of his attributes. And I, I put that scripture there when John, uh, John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says, behold, the lamb of God. This was, uh, John the Baptist's cousin. He may or may not have known that he was the lamb of God at that point, but this was an unveiling. This was a revelation, a behold moment. And I love what Corey Russell says. He says, whenever you read the word behold, just know that the, the spirit of God wants to touch you with revelation. He wants to touch your eyes with eye salve so that you can see the spirit of revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. So moving on in verse nine, Roman numeral three, he's leaping on the mountains. He's jumping on the hills. He's like a gazelle or a young stag. She's never seen this face of Jesus before. 
He's leaping and jumping with resurrection power. He has boundless ability and energy. His lordship over every obstacle, hindrance, or barrier is effortless. He's like a young stag leaping over every mountain and hill in our lives. His purposes cannot be stopped. He's demonstrating his power to her. So will she join him on the mountains of risk, the mountains of full obedience? That's the question that, that it's, should be brewing in our hearts. Is she going to go with him? Is she going to respond? And I think about like growing up in Peyton, we'd always chase deer out of the yard. I was at my parents' house earlier today and there was uh, a fawn with its mom in the front yard eating my mom's flowers <laughs> as they love to do. So I'm in there chasing them off and they'll jump over a fence and it's like nothing to them. Like a 10-foot fence, just jumps right over. And whereas any other type of animal, you know, they'd have to get get up there and climb over it. They'd have to go around it. But a stag, a gazelle, they just have such agility and their ability to overcome obstacles. And this is a picture of Jesus' ability and his agility in overcoming obstacles. It's it's like uh, I, I can see him like like in a sword fight where he's just toying with the other person and they, they don't have a chance at even touching him. And he's just laughing and jumping and leaping. And it's like Princess Bride, I'm not left-handed. You know, it's, it's just such a cool picture of Jesus as this leaping young stag. Let her be, there's mountains and hills in our lives that Jesus can easily overcome, amen? They could be human obstacles. They could be demonic resistance. They could be character flaws that he's working out in sanctification. But what we know is true is that he can easily overcome every single one of them. He's never met an obstacle that challenged him. He's never met a mountain that didn't submit to his lordship. He's never come face to face with resistance and not been able to immediately dismantle it. And that same authority is at work in our lives as the bride, but he's inviting us into it right here. What's preventing us from running with him to the mountains and the hills? Do we really believe that his leadership is perfect? Will we trust him to go where we might experience pain or fear? Is his banner over us truly love? He's, he's testing the confession. His banner over me is love. It was her confession. She, she made that confession. His banner over me is love. Page three, behind the wall. Verse nine, behold, he is standing behind our wall. He's looking through the windows. He's peering through the lattice. Jesus is pictured here as standing, which is significant because he's not pictured as standing in a lot of places. Most frequently, he's at rest. He's seated. He's at rest in victory. He's not in a place of working. He's at a place of resting in victory, enthroned at the right hand of the Father. We read that scripture in Ephesians 1. Here's another one, Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. He didn't say stand at my right hand. And we all are always very uh, excited to talk about Stephen when he was martyred and Jesus stood to receive Stephen into the kingdom when he was martyred. And Jesus also stood to knock on the door of the Laodicean church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Revelation 3.20, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him 
and he with me. When the Lord of the nations stands, we know that something dynamically powerful is happening in the earth, in the context. So he's standing. He's standing outside our wall. She says behind our wall, not behind her wall, not behind his wall. It's behind our wall as in his Jesus and hers, the maiden. That's important because the wall in itself was not an issue. They constructed the wall, possibly together, or the father constructed the wall in preparation. I view the wall as one of the walls of the house of wine that he brought her to, the banqueting table. She's been sitting in this place, protected, the the Holy Spirit charged others around her. Don't disturb. Don't awaken love until she pleases. And she's been in this house of wine, drinking of the love of God. It was given for a purpose by God. He had commissioned her to sit at the table and eat. Now he's appeared outside of the wall instead of inside the wall. She's like, what the heck? Why are you out? Why aren't you in here with me? Why are you outside of the wall leaping over mountains? I've never seen you do anything like this. I've never seen this side of you, Jesus. He's looking through the windows, letter D, and peering through the lattice, which is just a small opening. It could be something that uh, could have a flap where people look through. You could think of it even as like an eye hole on a door. The small, he's looking through the window (laughs) and the inference here is he's looking through the window and doesn't see what he's looking for. So now he's looking through the lattice. He's, he's, he's searching for someone that the inference is she's hiding. She's hidden herself. He's looking in to the house of wine. He's looking through the wall, through the windows to call her into a deeper relationship with himself. The mountains and even the hills seem too large for her. However, now she's hiding behind their wall. So what once was a hiding place from the abuse of others, and what once was a place where the Lord was protecting her from being disturbed from deep intimacy, a season of deep intimacy, she's now hiding from the Lord himself in using that same lifestyle. I mean, let's just take a moment and pause. Is there an area in our lives where the Lord called us to, but now that season has passed, and now that thing has become a a stumbling block for us? Maybe he called us to study a certain aspect of his character, but now he's wanting to draw us into a different area. And we're like, no, I don't really, I'm not really interested in that part of who you are, Lord. I'm only interested in this part, the part that I enjoy. I'm only interested in the part where I have spiritual pleasure. I'm not really interested in the part where you tread the wine press. (laughs) I'm not really interested in the part when you blast through the East Gate and set up your throne in Jerusalem. uh, That's not really for right now. You know, we can see how what once was a protection of the Lord can now become a protection from the Lord. So now we're at Roman numeral five, verse 10. And this is Jesus speaking. And there's a whole long thing that he says. And I only... uh, included the first verse here. So we'll pick up from here the next time and, and really dive into the things that he says. But this is a pretty good summary of what he's going to say. In verse 10, my beloved responded to me and he said to me, arise my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. 
Or some would say, come away there. Come away with me. Letter A, Jesus is ready for action and deep partnership. He calls her to arise from her comfort and security and come along with him to conquer the mountains of her life and of this fallen world. He heard when she declared that his banner over her is love, his primary intention and leadership to reveal and impart his love. And now he's testing this confession. Up to this point, she was living for her own spiritual pleasure. Now she's being called to live for his, <laughs> which is uncomfortable. But we must come to that place in our lives where we're no longer, we're no longer Christians because of the pleasures it brings us only but also because of the great pleasure it brings to Jesus. The fear of the Lord, loving what he loves, hating what he hates, choosing to burden our hearts with what burden, burdens his heart. This is true partnership. You know, it's, it's accepting all of who he is and pursuing all of his desires, not just allowing him to pursue us. He's allowing us here. I mean, how humble is God to allow us to pursue him? I mean, what great humility for the God who created me to now allow me to pursue him. He could easily just pursue me all of my days and he would win every time. But instead, he gives me an opportunity to pursue him and win him. For him to enjoy my love and enjoy my life, not just the other way around. Page four, letter B, Jesus challenges us to the mountains of total faith and wholehearted obedience. The high places require us to embrace difficult assignments and relationships thus challenging our comfort and security. Do we really believe that his leadership is trustworthy? Is it really safe to obey him 100% of the time, even when it's costly or painful? I mean, we obviously know the answer to that is yes, because of the, our history with the Lord. But I think when we're honest with ourselves, we don't immediately believe that. We've face something that could be painful. We face something that could be costly. We start counting the cost. But if we truly get rooted in the fact that his banner over us is love, then we will respond with wholehearted obedience 100% of the time because we'll trust this is to bring me into a deeper encounter with his love. This is to bring me into a deeper impartation of his love. This is to root me and ground me in the love of God. This is to reveal the height, the depth, the width, the length, to know the love of God in a way that surpasses knowledge, experiencing, receiving, having revelation, and an impartation to where love then increases and overflows from our own hearts. It's worth it every time. But if we're not rooted in that truth, we'll respond in the same way that the bride ultimately responds here. And let her see, at this time, the bride will ultimately hide in fear and send him away. And we'll talk about that in the next session. However, his leadership is perfect. It's not the end of the story. And he will draw her out of the comfort zone into marvelous faith and full obedience. In the same way, we often turn in fear from our assignments from God and the obstacles in our lives. We can have faith that he will finish what he started, the author and finisher of our faith, and he will draw us into the deepest level of his love and wholehearted obedience. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. I love this prophetic word over my life. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Let me pray for us and we'll go to some discussion. Father, I thank you for this passage.
you are the, the leaping God, the jumping God, the skipping God. Lord, I thank you that you've drawn us into intimacy with you in the house of wine. And for some of us, you may be calling us out into obstacles. You may be calling us out onto the mountains of our lives. Meet me on this mountain, my darling, my beautiful one. Come along. Meet me on this hill. Meet me at this difficult place. Let's overcome this. I have everything you need to overcome it. I've given you all things pertaining to life and godliness. Lord, would you give us faith to trust you? Would you give us this revelation of the King of glory, the Lord over all the nations, the Lord that easily leaps over obstacles? Lord, would you give us faith to respond rightly in wholehearted obedience? We love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Cool. Do we break before discussion or do we go right in? Do you guys need some snacks? Snacks. Yeah, let's take a little snack break and then we'll do some discussion.